Wonderful. Thank you, Afuk. And uh, wow, it's great to see you today on this Pentecost Sunday and to, to be here uh, to proclaim God's Word and to look at this together. Um, we, lots of talk about emails just then. We normally send out an email once a week um, just with some updated information on. If you're not getting that, um, I think our Radiant kids have already gone, but that's a prompt for us to remember that our youngest kids need to go to Crash and Sparklers if they haven't already. But I think they've probably just gone, so thank you. Um, we normally send out an email once a week. If you're not getting that, we'd like to, just to keep updated with the latest information of what's going on. Then there's some welcome cards at the back, and if you fill your details out on one of those and hand it to anybody that's been leading um, or involved in any way, they'll make sure that you can get added onto that to, to hear what's going on day by or week by week. Wow. So on Pentecost Sunday, we're continuing our look at spiritual gifts, and we've been doing this over several weeks now. The idea being that what we want to do is to um, show the gifts that the Spirit of God gives into the life of all Christians, that the whole church might be built up and that God might be glorified in our world today. That the church would be empowered for witness and that everybody would see that Jesus is Lord. That's the aim. And uh, so God's given certain gifts into the life of Christians to build one another up, to build the church and to make a difference. When we think about spiritual gifts, we often tend to think about the ones I'm going to be speaking about today. Now, we've done a few weeks already. We've looked at some different gifts. Um, but the ones we're looking at today, probably the ones that people go, oh, yeah, that's spiritual gifts, that is. Because they seem a little bit more um, of a type. And we looked last time I spoke at things like serving and encouraging. And some of those things seem quite practical and natural. But some of these ones seem more powerful. Now, God is at work powerfully in all the spiritual gifts that we're looking at. Um, so none are more powerful than another, but these ones sort of have that about them. And I've grouped them together today, and I'm saying we're, today we're I'm kind of packaged them, saying we're looking at the power gifts today. Now, power is important. If we were these days to try and have a church service without any power, we would notice. On a hot, sunny day, you'd notice that the air conditioning wasn't working. On a cold winter's day, you'd notice the heating wasn't working because it's electric, electric powered. You'd notice that you couldn't hear the voice, you couldn't hear the guitar, you, couldn't hear, you could hear the piano, and you could hear a shouting, um, but that's about it. You'd notice all sorts of things. When you came to have a coffee at the end of the service and there wasn't any coffee, you'd notice then the lack of power, wouldn't you? Uh, because we're utterly dependent these days on power. We're so used to it. These days when a new phone is released, um, a new gadget comes out, people look at and the reviews speak about uh, how powerful it is, they speak about how fast it is, they speak about the four cameras across the back and the three on the front and how amazing they are and all that they can do and all the gadgets and gizmos. But I'll tell you what, none of them are any good if you don't plug them in and charge them. And uh, for those of you that go away on holiday from time to time, you'll know that on your checklist is a, is a group of chargers these days, generally, that you take with you to make sure that everything gets topped up and doesn't run out. Well, today we're looking at those gifts that connect to God's power, perhaps most obviously, but as I said, all of them do. And those are faith, healing. Oh, can we just click onto the um, PowerPoint for me, Obi? Thanks. There we go. Faith, uh, gifts of healing, miracles, and we might get on to discernment as well. But those top three certainly are the ones that I think we most often associate with gifts of the Spirit. And I uh, just want us to remember that these gifts are given to all, 
Um, the, everyone in the church has one of, some of these gifts, and uh, they're given to build up, they're given to encourage, and we've all got a part to play. We see these three in Jesus' ministry. We see all of them in Jesus' ministry. We see these three particularly in Jesus' ministry, um, and they're highlighted by some of the things that he does. When Jesus heals the sick or walks on water or stills the storm or feeds the 5,000, we notice and we say, wow, there's something different about this man. And John's gospel, when you're reading through the gospel of John, he actually has seven signs, seven different occasions where God is at work and uh, powerfully through Jesus. And the first of those is Jesus turning water into wine. The last of them is Jesus' resurrection. And the ones in between, all of them uh, point to who Jesus is. It's very easy when we're looking at these topics today to take our eyes off the point of the, the gifts of the Spirit. And this is what John's Gospel says. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, it's perfectly possible to read the Bible and notice that Jesus turns water into wine and fixate on how good the wine might have been. Or to think about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and to go, wow, I wonder what that fish tasted like. That bread and that fish, wouldn't that have been cool? Just amazing how, how amazing that is to be in that crowd. Wouldn't that have been brilliant? And to fixate on the power to do the miracle or the, what's going on in that moment. And we can focus on those things and forget that the whole point is that they point to Jesus. The whole point of all those miracles is they point back to the one who's performing the miracle, uh, the one who's got the power to perform the miracle, in this case, Jesus. And these are written, John says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. They point to Jesus so that we can have life. That's the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit in Jesus' ministry, that they point to him, they show him, they glorify him. Not to point to the gifts, but to the giver. If God's given you an amazing gift, look beyond it to the giver. So there's three areas today we're going to look at. And these, these, as I've been preparing this message, I've been very much aware that these are issues that go right to the heart. They seem to be out there in the physical, but actually they go right to my heart because I've wrestled as I've been preparing this message. Three issues that I've been painfully aware of as I've been preparing. Number one, who do we want to be most seen when we're ministering in Jesus' name? Is it him or is it me? Now, you won't want me to be seen, but you might want you to be seen. Who is it that we're, we're worried about what people think about? Are we worried about what people think about us? Or are we worried about what people think about Jesus? Yeah? Because most of us aren't proud in the sense that we want, to, you know, want people to see us. We want the book tour to go well. We're not in that place, most of us. Um, most of us aren't necessarily celebrating our own wonder. But we do sometimes wonder what other people may think of us when things don't work out quite as we planned. When you go to pray for someone and it doesn't work. Do you see what I mean? So that's the moment where actually, who do we want to be most seen? Is it Jesus that we want, we're concerned about people seeing or is it us? Secondly, do we have a genuine compassion for people? Jesus doesn't just use gifts because they're cool to use. 
Jesus doesn't just use gifts because he can. He uses gifts because he's motivated by incredible compassion for people. Do we have the same amazing compassion for others? And thirdly, do we trust God? And this is one of those ones that's probably uppermost in my mind as I look in my own heart preparing this message. Do we trust him? Do we trust him above all else? Okay, so let's have a look at faith. First of all, faith. We're looking through 1 Corinthians 12 and other chapters uh, where the gifts of the Spirit are mentioned and we're purposefully going through them all. The reason being that if we're equipped to understand them and we know how to apply them, then we can begin to trust God and use them and by using them we'll see God glorified and the kingdom of God established. We'll see God more at work in our lives as we start to go, I know what they are, I know how to use them, I know what God's saying. That's why we're doing this series at this time so that we can understand more and apply more of these gifts in real life. Faith. Now, we use this word in all sorts of different ways. Um, We use it to talk ordinarily about trust. If you have faith in someone, you can depend on them, you can rely on them, you you can trust them that if you book a taxi to arrive at a certain time, they're going to turn up at a certain time because you've got faith. Maybe you've used the company before and you can rely on them and uh, you've built that up. That's, that's fairly simple. Biblically, we talk about a saving faith. We talk about a faith that, that we trust in God with and we are then saved as a result. We're transformed as a result of putting our trust in Jesus. We've already said we've got several people getting baptized tonight and they've put their faith in Jesus. They're trusting him that he is taking away their sin, that he's made them new, that he is the hope, the, the life, the reason for living. And that kind of faith we read about in these first couple of verses. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Secondly, this one, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. You can become a child of God when you believe in Jesus. That's an exciting promise, isn't it? Finally, this one, for it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. This kind of faith is a trust that all Christians have in Jesus. This is not a gift of the Spirit. This is saving faith. We talk about faith in a different way. We talk about faith as something that grows inside us when the Holy Spirit's at work. We talk about this kind of faith and we read about the work of the Holy Spirit producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control in our lives as they bubble up or grow up. Now when you look at these words, the word which most of our modern translations translate faithfulness actually is the same word faith that we get in the list of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Faithfulness seems most likely because it's a kind of ongoing application of faith, but it is just the word faith. It's the same word that's used in the gift of the Spirit, but it's not the same thing here. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in every single Christian. Growing trust and dependence on God on an ongoing basis. But when we read in 1 Corinthians 12, this is the kind of faith that we're reading about. It says this, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And, and in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul goes on to talk about the kind of faith that moves mountains. This is a, a supernatural confidence in God in a specific situation. That's what the gift of faith is. A supernatural confidence of God in a specific situation. 
believing God for the impossible. And this gift of the Spirit often connects with other gifts too. Healings, miracles, things like that. Often you find that you need a gift of faith to then be able to move in the gift of the miraculous. You need a gift of faith sometimes to hold on to God and trust Him. The Bible is full of people who exercise this kind of faith. Tremendous faith. You can read um, lots of stories in the Old Testament. You can read Hebrews chapter 11 and there's person after person after person who trusted God. The stories we tell in Radiant Kids or occasionally in youth, but certainly in Radiant Kids, the great big stories of faith of Daniel in the lion's den. Or the three thrown into the fiery furnace and they notice that there was a fourth with them in there. You know, there's incredible stories of people trusting God in, in, in terrible circumstances. That's that kind of deposit of faith of incredible trust and ability to hold on to God in impossible situations. In, in slightly more modern times, we might think of someone like George Muller, a man who founded orphanages for the poor, often around sort of Bristol area. And often would need, because they had no, he never appealed for money, didn't even pretend he was appealing, kind of wasn't appealing for money when actually he was. You know how people do that sometimes? Uh, I'm not going to appeal for money, but I'm just, just letting you know we need this at the moment. Um, but I'm not going to ask you, it's up to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't, none of that. Just, just did their thing. And uh, at, at times he would need to come down and pray, get the kids in the orphanages to pray, thanking God over their empty plates and their empty cups because they had nothing. And then at that moment, the, there'd be a knock on the door uh, and the baker would be outside and his, there was a story where his cart had broken down just outside the orphanage and he needed to offload the bread. And so in he comes with the bread and story after story after story of God's provision again and again and again. That's that kind of on, ongoing but incredible gift of faith to trust in Jesus in difficult times. Faith doesn't stop us suffering uh, if you read Hebrews 11, there's often difficult things that those people went through. But faith is a, a, an ability to trust in God in all sorts of circumstances. And I think this, as I was just, as we were worshipping today, God was just reorientating the priorities of this message and just prompting me to say that faith is going to be the, the door or the key to everything else in this case that we're looking at today. This is the crunch point for us. And my prayer at the end will be that God releases a, upon us and amongst us a gift of faith. That God gifts us with faith because I believe we need that more in this day and age than anything else. Miracles. Miracles. These are defined as an unusual supernatural activity, often different to healing. So you might include raising the dead in this because that might not be classed as healing. But where we see God at work, and the examples I've, I've touched on earlier are, are, are the ones that people often look at, at. walking on Jesus walking on the water, or feeding 5,000, or turning the water into wine, or stilling the storm. All of those are miracles. What's the point of these? What's the point of a miracle? Well, two things we've already seen is Jesus motivated by compassion and to point to who Jesus is, to show who he is. And they happen because they need to happen at that point. They're not performed just for the sake of it, but Jesus performed the miracles and Peter in 
in Acts 2 is preaching. He says, people of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders and signs through him, as you well know. What we see when we look at the ministry of Jesus is the miracles and wonders and signs that are done through him. And Peter's able to say, look, look at Jesus, look at what he did and look at what those things point to. They point to who he is. And the early church carried on those tasks. This is Acts chapter 5, a bit later. The apostles, those who followed Jesus, were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple area, at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. And there's a sense of fear and wonder and awe around these early Christians and people are nervous about joining them because of what they're seeing, but they're still coming in droves to join them. Miracles, wonders, and signs. A slightly more modern example. There are many, but uh, I was thinking of a book I read years ago called God's Smuggler. Anybody read this book, God's Smuggler? Yeah, it's a kind of Christian classic chap called Brother Andrew, who in the days of the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall and division between East and West in Europe, was felt convicted by God to smuggle Bibles into communist Europe, and, uh, or the East of Europe, and would, would take Bibles in his car and suitcases and whatever, and would pray as he went through the checkpoints that the Bibles that were quite obvious in the car, if they only had to lift things up and they'd see them, the, the guards, they just, their eyes would be blinded and they wouldn't see them. And time after time, you read the book, he goes through the checkpoint and manages to smuggle Bibles in. And the story is, of course, that churches are started. People are saved, churches are started, and there's incredible work of God in that place. And uh, similarly would be stories, if you've read um, books like The Heavenly Man, uh, Brother Yun reading some of those stories from China and the story there of the persecuted church and what God has done when people are, are desperate to read the word of God and desperate to hear from God and desperate to see God at work, God turns up again and again and provides miracles. He was released from prison uh, in a similar way to the way Peter is released from prison in the book of Acts, quite miraculously. And you read these stories and if you're reading them on the train on the way to work, your world might seem so different from theirs. And you might be thinking, well, well, great, but how does that apply to my job when I'm going to go into wherever you're going and you're going to sit all day doing a bit of this and a bit of that and a few emails and a bit on the phone and chatting to a few people and talking to a few people and fixing a few things and getting back on the train and going home again. It's the same God that's at work in your life and my life as is at work in China or, or South America or wherever it might be where there's these incredible moves of God happening right now. It's the same Jesus who died, who rose again, who's ascended, who sent his spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in you and in me just as much as he is in those other believers. We're in different circumstances, in different situations with different needs but it's God that's still at work and God still wants to work miraculously amongst us today. Thirdly, gift of healing. Now, we know that bodily healing is from God. Some of it happens in different ways. Some of it happens through creation. Our bodies are incredibly created, aren't they? If you cut yourself, for most of us, if that's not too severe, you're out and you get scratched or, or you bump into something and there's a cut, the, the cut heals up and scabs over and, uh, and you're protected and, and the body gets to work incredibly. It's amazing the design of God's creation. And you, you don't necessarily pray, you just get used to the fact that your body, generally speaking, works and looks after itself. That's amazing. 
We've got so confident and used to this process, but it is amazing that what God has designed. We're healed through medicine and through practical care of our bodies. We see this biblically as Paul writes to Timothy and tells him to take a little bit of wine instead of just water for his stomach's sake and to look after himself in that way. And we see uh, practical medical care. Luke, the the chap who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts with probably the most miracles in is a doctor. And so he's writing these things, um, telling the miraculous stories whilst also having been involved in looking after people practically and medically. God heals through medicine and through that work too. So God heals through the wonders of creation, what he's already put in the world and through our bodies, what through medicine, but God also heals supernaturally. And that's what we're looking at here with these gifts of healing, these supernatural gifts. And these often occur in conjunction with other gifts like words of knowledge, where maybe God will give a word to somebody and say, there's somebody here with this particular sickness, can we pray? I'd like to, you know, I believe God needs to be at work and he's going to set you free. So That can be something that often happens through gifts of the Spirit in action as well. The definition of these gifts of healing is supernatural healing of diseases and infirmities, making the sick well. This often accompanies the preaching of the gospel. Notice here, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven's near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. That continues into not just the time when Jesus is there with them, but the early church continued doing this after he's gone, after he's sent the Holy Spirit. We read this, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. Uh, And this is what we read, Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. The bit before that story is that man sitting begging on a popular route where he knows people are going to be walking past. And he calls out to Peter and John. And he asks them for some money. And as he asks them for some money, they say, look at us. Peter then says, I haven't got any silver or gold to give you. But what I give you, what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then we get on to this bit of the story here. The early church were involved in seeing God healing because they'd seen people healed in Jesus' ministry, and they themselves have been involved in that. And that came as a result of them. Uh, this, I mean, this was a, a wonderful incident, but that continued. And, and they sought God together. After a particular time of persecution and struggle, they actually got together and prayed that God would give them boldness in preaching. But linked to that, if you look at the third, second and third line down, uh, they're praying for boldness, and they say this, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. There's a cry in their hearts, God, give us boldness to preach. And also, as we do, would you do what we can't? 
So they're, they're recognizing they can preach, they can go out onto the streets, they can speak, and they can trust God with the results, but they, we can all go and speak. We might not all be gifted teachers or gifted evangelists, but all of us can proclaim the Word of God. We, we could all go out onto the street right now and, and read out a bit of the Bible and tell our story and preach. But they're saying, we're going to do that, but Lord, we need some boldness to help us do that. But not only do we need more boldness, but we need you to go alongside us and ahead of us and do the miracles that then point to the Word being true. Show that the Word is, is true and accurate and reliable. Some interesting ways that God heals. And when we read through the Gospels and look at how this healing works, how does Jesus use this? We see that Jesus doesn't pray for the sick. Now, which is what we normally do. We normally pray for people who are sick, but Jesus heals the sick. And it's an interesting, I mean, it, it might only be a subtle difference, but he, he proclaims healing, he pronounces healing, he declares healing, he sets people free. Um, you read Peter in this passage and the little bit before, um, the one before, so I'm pointing at the screen, it's the wrong passage. Um, Peter takes the man by his feet, but the bit before, he hasn't stood and prayed with him. He hasn't said, Lord, would you please, if it's your will, heal this man. He said, I haven't got any silver and gold, but I give you what I have in the name of Jesus. Walk. And then he helps the man up. And I think we've got some way from this in our culture today, in our expectation today. We've moved away from the pattern of how Jesus used these gifts of the Spirit. And, and what we're doing is, is pastoral prayer when we, we're praying for people and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We're encouraged to, where are we now? We're, I'm clicking on, let me just check. So this is, this is closer to what we're doing. This is when people are sick and they're prone in bed, they're unable to get to a meeting like this. And they're able to call the elders of the church to come and pray. And this is written by James. And he says, when you're sick, do that. If you can't get out of bed, if you can't come to church, pray for the elders to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. So that's one of those examples. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Um, that's one of those passages where leadership from the church go and pray for those who are sick and there's faith in those praying um, when they've got a revelation that God wants to heal and then the sick person is raised up and made well but you see this is again is slightly different from what we do often when it's one-to-one -one kind of prayer because in this passage we've got the leaders actually involved in uh, helping people confess their sin and getting right with God at the same time again that's slightly different isn't it so we've got Jesus proclaiming healing. We've got this in the early church where they're encouraged to, to get the leaders to go to the sick folk and do a, a pastoral kind of package of where you're praying for people but also getting them released from any sinful practices and setting them free in all sorts of different ways. And then in the middle, we've got these gifts of the Spirit that we're talking about today, which is back to that one there, which is where the Spirit gives the gifts of healing or gift of healing uh, to people in the congregation. And I think we've kind of put all this together and we, we stand often, we go, God, would you heal? And God in his grace does. Do you know why? Because I think God is much less worried about the formula we use than the faith that we have in him. And so whatever you're doing, trust in Jesus that he wants to work and then seek him and ask. That would be my baseline today. If you take nothing else away about healing, please take that away. 
some people have looked at this passage, and because actually in the original Greek it says gifts of healing, it doesn't say gift of healing, uh, and they've concluded that actually what God does is he doesn't give the gift of healing to an individual, but he gives gifts of healing every time people are healed. And that's the way um, to interpret that. that. That may well be a very valid interpretation. Why does God heal? Why does he do that? Because he's incredibly compassionate. Um, he is incredibly gracious and he has a deep love for people. God loves you. I believe faith is the goal of this sermon today, but I want us to know as well that God loves you. Did you hear me? God loves you. He really does. Uh, and when we come to issues like healing, they can cut to the heart because we begin to wonder, does God really love me? Does he? Is he really compassionate? And I want to say this, that whether God is sustaining you through sickness or healing you instantly as you wanted and asked for, or healing you ultimately one day, he's doing each one of those because he loves you. Because he loves you to bits. And whether he's sustaining you or instantly saying, yes, healed, he loves you the same. Love is the motivator for all of God's action. God wants all people to see him. That's another reason why God heals. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have an obligation. He's not required to, but he heals out of his grace and his kindness and because he wants people to see him. Sometimes he heals because, Jesus heals because of the simple, persistent, outrageous faith of those who ask. The time when uh, the woman presses through the crowd to come and touch the hem of his garment and she pushes her way through and Jesus realizes that power has gone out from him and then she's healed. Sometimes when we're looking at healing, we ask the other question, why doesn't God heal? Why hasn't he healed in this occasion? Let me just be clear, I'd like to rephrase that question slightly in the context of a broader perspective. Because we live in a world where sickness has become the norm. We live in a world where even Paul, writing in the New Testament, talks about how our bodies are wasting away. But we live with a hope in one who restores all things and is restoring all things and is bringing his kingdom and is renewing that new heaven and a new earth. One day there will be no sickness, no death, no tears, no suffering, no pain. Amen? Amen? One day. So the question is not why does God not heal? The question perhaps should be why doesn't God heal how we want him to when we want him to? Did you hear the difference? Why hasn't God healed the way I wanted him to when I wanted him to? You see that allows for trust to remain in God rather than why didn't God heal me? Why does he love them more than he loves me? When actually God often heals now, often heals over process and always will heal one day ultimately. We don't deny faith in God's healing now by looking ahead. Nor do we want to diminish our trust in God by looking at what we've got at the moment and going, well, where did you go then, Lord? God is real and alive and he loves us today. All healing points to Jesus. 
and shows who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. What do we do then if we want to see this gift of the Spirit released? This, this gift of healing that I think is connected with faith. I think it's also connected often with words of knowledge. Uh, just a few simple questions to ask. Are we listening to God and ministering to the sick? Because I think if we're not listening to God and we're not ministering to the sick, we're not likely to see healing so much. So let me give you an explanation of what I mean. If I'm sitting at home saying, God, would you heal? God, I want to see people healed. And I don't ever step out of my house to go and put myself in a difficult position, a vulnerable position where I might look silly and, and listen to what God's saying and respond, then I'm not likely to see many people healed. Um, secondly, am I ministering with compassion? I've been challenged on this myself, as I'm sure some of you will have been, where sometimes we're just desperate to see God at work because we love seeing God at work, that we forget the person we're, we're with and we're ministering to. And our, and our excitement and our desire is to say, God, we want to see you glorified. That's great. But we mustn't forget there's a real person in front of us. And Jesus never forgot there was a real person in front of him. Every, even when there was a crowd and there were thousands and they were sick and they were uh, in difficult situations, he was moved by compassion for the ones in front of him. We must never forget that. Forget that. Thirdly, are we ministering and wanting to see God glorified? Or are we worried about people seeing us Fourthly, do we have a simple, persistent, and outrageous faith? Fifthly, are we dependent on his power? And sixthly, have we ended up getting ourselves worried about theological perfection as we pray? Are we listening to God and ministering? Are we ministering with compassion? Are we wanting to glorify God? Are we acting in faith? Are we dependent on him? And just a little check at the end. Have I got myself tied up that I've forgotten number four on the list, on Stuart's list? Because it's better just to trust uh, we've had, there was a, somebody, I'm not going to give names at the moment because there'll be a time for this, I'm sure. But as I was here this morning, somebody greeted me and told me of a healing that God has done in their life. And we rejoiced together. It's exciting. God's at work. Um, I can't remember the format by which we prayed previously, uh, whether, which, how it fitted into the system, but we prayed and God healed. And we're excited by that. I heard a story just Couple, how, how long ago was it you shared your story about your relative? Couple, last week, okay. Wonderful story about, which we'll hear one day, I'd love the whole church to hear this, about a child that was healed um, at a distance. You were praying faithfully over a period of time and uh, somebody was healed at a distance from something that was incurable. And we thank God for that. There was no laying on of hands, there was a no anointing of oil, there was no probably getting things in the right order and all the rest of it. Just praying, saying, God, would you do this? We want God to be at work. and We want God to heal. Let me, I'll miss out discernment because I, I wondered if I wouldn't have time. It's the day of Pentecost today. We want God to be more at work. We want to see more of his spirit. My prayer is this. As I look at my own heart, I don't dare to look into yours. I don't dare to presume. But as I look in my own, and I wonder about where we are before him, I believe that God wants to shake us out of a couple of things. Complacency. That, that what we've got is good enough. Good enough's a good attitude, often. 
It's a good attitude when you look in your cupboards and you look at your car and you look at your bank balance and you go, Lord, this is, thank you for your good enough. Thank you. We know that God can give more, but we're always thankful for what we've got. But that can lead sometimes into a sense of complacency where we lose our hunger and our dependence and our desperation for more of God. And at times, busyness can do that. At times, all sorts of things can steal away our desire for more. My prayer, firstly, is that there's no complacency, that we're no longer satisfied with what we have, but that we want more of Jesus. Secondly, my prayer is this, that unbelief finds no place in our hearts. Unbelief finds no place in our hearts. I find myself, when I think about miracles and great healing, I know that God can. But there have been times when I stand to pray, when someone's in front of me, and I, I look in my heart, and actually what I've got is unbelief. You may, it may just be me. But I tell you, God wants us to know him and know his power and know his grace and know his love that we do away with unbelief, which is functional atheism, effectively. And see a hunger for God at work growing within us. I, I want us to be shaken out of over-self-awareness that actually we're, that we're motivated by compassion more than anything else. Um, we don't, that we're moved by not what people think about us, but by their need and by God's glory. And finally, that we might instead continue in faith. In just preparing for this message, I've read a few things and talked to a few people and prayed a lot. And I read a quote from Jack Deere who writes this. If you won't take the credit when someone gets healed, then you won't have to take the blame when they don't. And maybe that might release one or two of you to pray more and trust God more. When you don't take the credit when someone gets healed, then you won't have to take the blame if they don't. I wonder if we can pray. Because I want us to see God more at work amongst us not for our entertainment, but so that people's lives might be changed and so that he might be glorified. To do that, we need to create a space which is safe, where we can try and trust God together and make mistakes, where we can encourage one another in gifting and build up, not tear down, where we can value people for who they are in God, not just for the gift that they brought or whether someone got healed or not, whether the prophetic word was right or not. We value them for who they are in God. We need to create a safe space for God to do dangerous things. Lord, we're utterly dependent on you. We hear stories of miracles and we cheer. We hear stories of healings and we cheer. And we thank you and we celebrate and Lord, we long for great faith. I pray, Lord, above all else, well, above all else, we pray that you'd be seen, but Lord, second to that, we pray for great faith to be deposited. I pray for gifts of faith to be given across the church in this congregation today that you'd help us trust you. Lord, that when we're up against it, when it looks as though things are impossible, that you'd help us trust you. And Lord, that we would see you at work in new ways today as a result of renewed faith. Forgive us, Lord, if we've allowed unbelief into our hearts. 
Forgive us if we've become complacent. Forgive, forgive us if we've put some of these things into a box and, and pushed it into a place never to be touched. Out of fear or concern or whatever it might be, Lord, instead we long to say, we need you, we want you. Would you come and renew us this day? Pour out your Spirit on us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.